Good morning. I think uh, it's probably good for us to do a quick review every once in a while we do this. And I think today is probably, uh, especially at the passage today, is probably good for us to be reminded um, why we exist as a church, why we are here, what our purpose is, what our focus is. Um, there is a reason why we do what we do. And so if, you, uh, if you're a visitor, if you're brand new to the church, you may not even know this. Um, so if this is your church home, though, and you don't know it, then shame on me. So what is our purpose as a church? Elm Creek Community Church exists to do what? To to know Christ and to make him known. And we do that through four values. And they are? (laughs) Worship, evangelism, love, and discipleship. And all of those are gospel-centered. They are Christ-centered. They are not, we can love we can love in any way. I mean, the world loves, right? But what we do differently is it's gospel-centered love. It's Christ-centered love. It's Christ-centered worship. We are here to worship Christ alone, not ourselves, not our preferences, not our desires, not our emotions. We are here to worship Him, not us. We are here, we need to be evangelizing. We need to be reaching out to those who don't know, to those who don't understand the gospel, be speaking it, the truth of the gospel message, so that the kingdom would expand, not so that Elm Creek's kingdom would expand, but God's kingdom would expand. And then to disciple is to pour into one another, is to help each other to grow, is to understand who God is, who Christ is, and then learning to obey that throughout the rest of our life. That is our goal as a church. That is our mission. That is our focus. That is our purpose for existence. And so everything that we do, we strive, whether it's men's ministry or women's ministry, whether it's the nursery, whether it's a Sunday morning or the music that is selected, all of it is striving to be Christ-centered. Now we fail sometimes, right? We fail at even outside these walls to worship God with everything that we do, or to disciple each other and other people, to evangelize well according to Scripture, to we fail at doing these things. But that's part of our gathering together to be encouraged. We're living in a society where more and more the church gets pushed to the outskirts. We're becoming a minority, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Because what it's doing is it's reminding us if we are not being supported outside of these walls, what is our main focus? If we are here to be loved by the culture, then maybe our focus is wrong. Now, we don't want to be hated by the culture in the sense of like, because we're jerks. That's totally different. But if we speak the truth of the gospel message, the culture around us will reject us but that doesn't change our purpose. If we as a church become man-centered, become me-centered in the things that we do, guess what we will worship? Me. Guess what we will evangelize to? Me. Guess what we will love? Me. Me, me, and we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. 
we want to be Christ-centered. We want to be gospel-centered. And when we fail to learn and to be better at it and to sharpen one another and to love one another and to walk out of these four walls and to say, I love Christ and I know I might fail this week, but man, I want to be him-centered, not me-centered. I want to be all about the gospel, not about myself. And when we walk out those, these walls, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to live that life. But as a wise man once told me, tomorrow is not going to be any easier than today. Tomorrow's going to be harder to live for Christ. Tomorrow's going to be harder to be gospel-centered than it is today. So we might as well start today. We might as well start today. Last week, we read Paul's warning to the Christians not to bite and devour one another lest they consume one another. This type of spiritual cannibalism, this creating unnecessary divisions within the body of believers, is not something that reveals the work and the desires of God in the church body or in the individual. When we begin to bite and devour and to consume one another, we have become me-centered because you are not doing what I want you to do. You're not making me happy. You're not following my preferences. We become me. We begin to forget the log in our own eye and we forget the speck in a brother or sister's eye or we begin to focus on the speck in the brother or sister's eye. We we talk about how when we want to come together as God's people, we come humbly together. We lower ourselves and we raise Christ high. And when we do that, we can't, we can't, create divisions. It's impossible for us as God's people. We bite and devour and consume one another. We become so self-centered. When we make Christ the highest goal, when we realize where we are on the spectrum of Christ's perfection and our sinfulness, it humbles every single one of us to bow before him. And we all realize that I'm not any better than you and you're not any better than me because we're all compared to perfection. And compared to perfection, we're all a bunch of losers. That's not popular. Say, well, you could be a little less harsh. Okay, we're really big losers. Because when we go to perfection, none of us meet it. And the Galatian church is hearing from these people, if you just follow works, if you just do this one thing, in this case, circumcision, or following the dates of the calendar of the Jewish calendar, become a Jew, do good works, then God will be happy with you and he'll save you. And we do that in our, in, our, in our world and in our church right now. If we just, you know, if we just clapped, then that would really show that we love God and God would be happy with us during worship service, right? Or, you know, we do all kinds of things. Back in the day, it was, you know, as long as you don't roller skate or use the face cards of the playing cards, you're good. How do you play cards without the face cards, first of all? I just never understood that. When we begin to consume ourselves and consume each other, it's us-focused. It's all about me. And Paul's going, oh, no. This is not about you. To be about us, to create divisions, reveals the selfish, unrepentant flesh, that part of our human nature that is incapable of gratifying the desires of God. See, there's a battle raging in the heart of every single Christian. I'm focusing specifically on Christians because Paul is writing specifically to Christians. 
There's a battle raging in our souls. Every true believer is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Okay, the moment that we're justified, the moment that we're saved, the Spirit comes in and dwells with us and He teaches us and He guides us and He corrects us and He encourages us and He teaches us. But at the same time, our flesh fights tooth and nail to disobey and ignore the desires of the Spirit. And so as Christians, what are we to do? How do we battle the desires of the flesh? And Paul says simply, well, walk by the Spirit. All right, everybody go home. Okay, that's great. He says, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify, you will not fulfill, you will not accomplish the desires of the flesh. And so here's a simple question. How are we doing at that? How's that working out for you? And if you're like me, the battle is daily and it's constant, isn't it? Some days my flesh wins. Other days the spirit in me wins. And some days I feel on top of the world because, man, I'm following Christ. And other days I feel like a constant failure. But does that mean then that I'm not a true child of God? If I've got this struggle within me and some days I obey and some days I don't, am I not a child of God? And Paul's answer is that as imperfect as we are, we belong to Christ. We belong to him. See, there are no perfect Christians, none. As soon as we start to think that we're perfect, it's a sign that we're probably the least perfect person we know. Even Paul himself struggled with this battle of flesh and spirit, and he he points to it a little bit in this passage, but grab your Bibles or your Bible app, and I really need you to turn to this, okay? It's not going to be on the screen. This is a tongue twister, and it's really helpful if we actually read, um, read this or heard it as we're, as we're reading it. Because this, this is Paul, he's a believer, he's speaking about before he came to Christ, before he was saved, before he was justified. Okay, Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 15, all the way to the end of the chapter. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 15. Okay, so he's writing to believers, both Jews and Gentiles, in the church in Rome. And this is what he says. Verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I want to do the very thing that I hate. Now, here's the thing, okay? He, he's speaking about before he was a Christian, but he's also speaking right here and now. He's speaking about his life at that moment. Okay, this is Paul, arguably one of the, no, I'm not even say arguably, the greatest missionary of all time. And this is what he says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that is, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells within me, here flesh, when he says that. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what, is keep, what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, 
It is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in, the, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is, you hear Paul's pain. He had a vision of Christ himself and Christ saved him on the road to Damascus. Again, arguably one of the most holy men of all time, if you want to say as far as obedience to Christ. And here he is saying, I find I lose the battle more than I win the battle. I have this flesh and the Spirit waging war in my members, in my body. I want to do the right thing, but I can't do the right thing. The desires of the flesh, they're in direct opposition to the desires of the Spirit, and it's the desires of the flesh which keeps believers, keeps believers from doing the things that we want. We want to please God. We want to obey God. We want not only to know his desires, but we want to live them out every day in everything that we do. Whether we eat or drink, we want to do it all for the glory of God. We want him to be the center of every aspect of our life. There's that darn flesh, though. It's always, it's always working against those desires. Every believer in Jesus Christ is sinful. We all make huge mistakes. We say we love God, and then we only an hour later fall prey to our flesh, and we disobey God. Again, so does that mean that I'm not a child of God then? And the answer for Paul is a resounding no. You are a child of God. That, it means that I have a sinful nature, that my flesh is alive and well. And there are some moments that we walk by the Spirit, and other moments we walk by the flesh, but as God's children... We should always be working towards walking by the Spirit so that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. When we fail to walk by the Spirit, again, the Spirit corrects us, encourages us, transforms us, reminds us that the power to defeat the desires of the flesh at the next battle that we have is available through Him and not through us. And should we fail once again? The Spirit picks us up and continues to work on us so that we walk by the Spirit more than we walk by the flesh. Until the day comes when our flesh will no longer have control or, over, or influence over us because we're in the presence of our Savior. Either the day of our death or at the second coming of Christ. This is what is called the very slow, very tedious, and very frustrating for every believer lifelong process of sanctification. There is no retirement in the kingdom of God. There's never a moment when we've got it all together. Now, some people say, well, yeah, I don't have it all together, but I act like I have it all together. Because I really think I've got it all together, but I know I'm not because I want to be humble. And that's not humility. That's arrogance and it's pride. Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit in us to change us and to transform us daily into the image and the character of Christ, 
not what I think is the most ideal mark in the world. In fact, that bar is actually pretty low, actually, honestly. <laughs> this is the bar that Christ has set, perfection. He empowers us to fight the desires of our flesh. Now, our realization and, uh, and frustration at our failure to gratify the desires of the Spirit in our life and embrace the desires of the flesh is evidence that we truly are children of God. Did you hear that? When we are bothered that we are following the desires of the flesh, that is a sign that we are a child of God. Why? Well, because an unbelieving individual won't even know that there's a battle between the flesh and the Spirit because they don't have the Spirit. All they got is flesh. All they have is their sinful desires. They might do good things, but even that is out of sinful desires, the desires of the flesh, because they don't have the Spirit of God in them. A Christian, though, seeing and living out that battle daily is devastated that such a fight even needs to take place. The moment that we become complacent with the sin in our life, the moment that we think, eh, I'm okay with that, is the moment that we are at the most danger from falling away from Christ. Now, I'm not saying you lose your salvation, but there are many friends that I know right now who have fallen away from the truth of Jesus Christ, the gospel message, because they think they've got it good. I'm taking, I'm taking care of it all. This is a sin, but eh, I kind of like it. You know, and the Bible doesn't use that word specifically, and you can kind of talk around it. I'm good. I'm good. The reality is that every believer is imperfect in every way. Did you hear that? If you are a believer, you are imperfect in every way. So if you're a perfectionist, I'm sorry. (laughs) But probably perfectionists are the one who know the most that you are imperfect in every single way, right? We just can't reach that perfection. We are the imperfect, sinful people of God. But what's the best word in Scripture? But. We are the imperfect, sinful people of God, but we have a perfect Savior. Verse 18 seems out of place with the whole section. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay. But what's that got to do with the battle between the desires of the flesh and the spirit? Well, Paul understands that we all fail at always walking by the spirit, and so he's reminding the Galatians, and he's reminding us through them, that our failure does not mean that we aren't being led by the spirit. Walking by the spirit is different than being led by the spirit. If you're a Christian, you are constantly led by the spirit. We just may not always walk by the spirit. And remember, the law requires perfect obedience to be justified before God. None of us are able to fulfill that. That's Paul's point in this book. And so Jesus willingly came to live the perfectly obedient life that we never could. Meaning that those who believe in him are no longer under the requirements of the law of perfection because we're saved by grace through faith, not by any works of our own. So whether we walk by the Spirit all the time or not does not determine whether I am saved or not. In Jesus, our salvation has been perfectly and completely accomplished. You hear that? Say it again. In Christ, 
our salvation, our justification before God, being right in God's eyes as sinful people has been perfectly and completely accomplished. Jesus did not do 99% of it on the cross, leaving that 1% for us. Because the guarantee or the realization is we couldn't even meet that 1%. We just couldn't do it. So Christ did all of it. And if he only did 99%, then his death on the cross was worthless. What's the point of it? No works of you, no works of me added anything to our salvation. As God's children, we have a perfect Savior who has saved continually throughout history imperfect people. We are God's perfectly imperfect children. Perfect because of Him, despite our imperfection by sin. Imperfect in our flesh, but perfect in Christ. And this is what Paul says, Romans Okay, right? He goes on this long, like, you could just hear the frustration. I, why am I doing what I don't want to do? I want to do what's right, but I can't do it. And then he says this. So he says, verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And Paul says, I will. Me. No, he says, thanks be to God through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then he continues on. But he gives God the glory. He says, who's going to save me from this? Christ did. God has already saved me. If I am a child of God, if I am led by the Spirit, I am no longer under the law. And when I, so when I fail to follow the Spirit, God goes, yeah, I know. That's kind of the point. Because what does that do? It forces us to rely on Him and not ourselves. And it forces us to rely on His grace and not on our works. Now again, don't hear me say like we shouldn't live good lives, like we could do whatever we want. You know, that we talked about that. That's not what Paul is saying. That would be, he said, don't use your freedom as like a get out of jail free card. I can do whatever I want because I'm free. If God's going to save me by grace anyway, then I can live whatever way I want because God's going to forgive me. No, he's, if that's our attitude, then there's a real danger. We're really not believers. Do you believe that you are saved by God's grace alone through faith and his son, Jesus Christ alone, and not by any works of your own? If you believe that, then stand firm in the fact that your salvation, your justification, your righteousness before God is not based on your failure or success to walk by the Spirit. It just lifts a huge burden off, doesn't it? You're like, I want to be perfect, but I can't be perfect. And God goes, I know. That's why I was perfect for you. I want you to obey me, but I want you to obey me because you love me, not because you're trying to earn my favor of you. You've already got my favor of you because I saved you. That's where your favor comes from. Do you believe 
And stand firm in the fact that your salvation is not based on your failure or success by walking in the Spirit. Because nothing could change the fact that you're a child of God. But that, again, that does not mean that we can live however we want in this world. As God's people, we are called to walk by the Spirit, meaning how we speak, how we think, how we act in every part of our life is affected by the fact that we are a child of God. God doesn't want to be the ruler of one area of your life. He wants to be the ruler of all of our life. So, if you can think about one sin that's in your life. I I know I've said this before. I know I've had this conversation a ton with, with a lot of you personally. I think of one sin that I've struggled with my entire life, and I'm going to bring it up because I bring it up every Sunday, basically, right? Which I just brought it up, didn't I? If I focus on that one sin, there's a part of me, the flesh part of me goes, I really don't want to fight that sin because if I fight that sin and through the Spirit I conquer that sin, guess what's going to happen? He's going to reveal another sin. And then another sin. And then another sin. And I go, well, I kind of know how to deal with this sin. I think I'd just rather stay there, right? Does that make sense? Like, I just want to stay in this sin because if I fight it, then he's just going to more reveal more. That's a wrong attitude to have. We should fight sin tooth and nail. And then when we conquer it through the power and the empowerment of the Spirit within us, and he reveals another area of our sin, of our life, we embrace it. Because we want to be like Christ. We want to bear his image to an unbelieving world, to a a church of sinners, to show Christ to one another. We want Christ to be the king of every area of our life. Where, Where are we to, where we walk by the Spirit and we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. And so as a church body, here's the question, are we walking by the Spirit? Are we being obedient to the desires of the Spirit, teaching and speaking the truth of the gospel message through everything that we do? Are there areas, well, maybe I should say this. People say, like, I have an open-ended question. I think this one needs to be a little bit more specific. What areas in the ministries of us at Elm Creek, the church, are we failing to follow the Spirit? The leading of God. Where are we selfish and all about me in the ministries of the church? We're going to get to individually. Don't, don't worry here, just, just in case you're worried. Where as a church are we about me and not about him? And then where are we about him? And then how do we stay there, right? How do we create that hedge of protection so we don't walk outside those boundaries of the truth of the gospel? If there's anything that I have seen over the last number of months and the last number of years is that the temptation as a church to walk outside the bounds of the gospel is huge, But I tell you, and Paul says this in his word, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. As soon as we let falsehood come in and we don't correct it and we don't deal with it, the church is lost. The church is gone. We're no longer about him. We're about us. 
And we have to be very careful, constantly looking at what we are doing and what we're saying as a church. Are we walking by the Spirit? Or are we having an ice cream social because it makes me feel good? That's not a knock on the women's ministry. Men's do golf and bowling, okay? So we can apply it to anything. It just happened to be up there, okay? Are we doing what we're doing? Because we're walking by the Spirit, and we want the Spirit through ice Whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. I think that includes ice cream or bowling or golf or going out for coffee. We could do it for the glory of God. Are we doing it for the glory of God? And then let's go to the individual. Let's do a, a little thought experiment here, okay? Let's make an honest spiritual measurement and evaluation of our life. Not the person next to you, not your children, not your parents, not your spouse, not your friends. I think that covers everybody, right? Make an honest spiritual measurement and evaluation of your own life. What one thing is the Spirit revealing to you right now about yourself, again, not anybody else, in which you are failing to walk by the leading of the Spirit? I'll wait. I'll give you 10 seconds. I love silence. If you refuse to do that, it says a lot. But hopefully you've got that one thing. You didn't have to expose it to anybody. God already knows, right? So you can expose it to him because he exposed it to you. He knew it before you did, right? So think of that one area in which the desires of the flesh are constantly battling against the desires of the spirit. Now, what can you do about it? What can you do about it? You say, well, Mark, you just told me that, you know, my works do nothing. Yeah, that's not what that means. For salvation, yes. But we need to fight sin actively. There's a reason that God gives us a list of the armor of God, the spiritual armor, right? It's a battle. So first, you think about that one thing. Be reminded that as a child of God, this sin does not affect your standing with God. This sin that you have in your mind, this disobedience is not your identity as a child of God. That does not define who you are. Who defines you? Who defines you? Christ. Jesus Christ is your definition of who you are. Nothing else. That doesn't mean the sin's not important, right? I mean, we're dealing with that right now, right? We're trying to wrestle with it. It doesn't mean that those other things that I have as a father, like it's not, I don't need to be a father. No. But my identity, the foundation of who I am is founded on Christ, not on my sin. Not on my ethnicity, not on my socioeconomic status, not on my gender. That is not who I am as a child of God. Who I am as a child of God is a child of God. All the rest of that gets put to the side. Be reminded as a child of God, this is not your identity. Now second, Realize that you're not alone in this, in this battle. 
everyone in this room, literally every single person in this room is in the exact same boat as you. Every one of us. We all fail to walk by the Spirit. But there's also a reason Paul is speaking to the whole church. We are individuals, yes, but we are individuals who are a family. I know that word is thrown out a lot, right? The family of God and, oh, it just makes you ooey-gooey. What do family do? If, we, if, if a healthy family deals with junk and loves no matter what. Loves no matter what. It corrects. Now, whether that correction is taken is a whole nother, that's a whole nother sermon. But a family loves and guides and corrects and disciplines out of love. Love for the individual, yes, but even more so a love for our Savior, Jesus Christ. We don't discipline because we don't like what you're doing. We discipline because it's against what God is asking us to do. You're not walking by the Spirit. How can I help you? How can I come alongside you? So if we're all in the same boat, guess what? We all need to have somebody walking with us. We all struggle with that, right? I'll be, I'll be the first, first one to say, am I completely openly honest with every single individual in this room? As a pastor, absolutely not. You'd probably fire me in a minute if you knew what was really happening in my sin, right? And everybody's like, well, what's he doing, right? So the same thing as you. How come you're not exposing your sin to everybody? But that does not mean that I should not have somebody come alongside me. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Who do I trust with my sin to come alongside me and love me? Besides my wife? For sure, the elders. I want them to hold me accountable. I want them to pray for me. I want them to call me out in sin. We should all desire that, to come together as a church, not to condemn one another, but to love one another. We are an imperfect family, but we are a family nonetheless. Perhaps we need to stop biting, devouring, consuming one another and begin to pray for and weep with and courage and correct one another and take it. We love pointing out the sin of other people. We hate it when our sin is exposed. And Christ says, don't let that become a habit in your life. Because your sin does not define you. I define you. When we think of communion, we think of the cross, we think of the Last Supper. So what Christ did on the cross brought glory to himself first and foremost. Say, say that again. The cross brought glory to God first and foremost. If it brings glory first and foremost to anything else, our thinking is wrong. But we also, through the cross, are saved if we believe. We're justified. We're made right. 
He knows even more than we do how imperfect we really are. But as his children, we are imperfectly perfect. Not because of us, but because of him. And so we cry out with all the saints throughout the world, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. To him be all praise and glory and honor. Amen? So when we take communion, you don't have to be a member of the church. You've got to be a member of the kingdom of God. That's, that's how we do things here with the communion. We don't have communion, please. We want your heart to be right before God. We want you to see the glory of God at the cross and humble ourselves before him and cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Communion, we do it every three weeks, is a reminder for us this is not about us. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about him. And so, when they start to pass out the, the cup and they pass out the bread and we stop and we think and we, we look at our heart and we examine our life and we think of that one thing that we thought of earlier and the sin that we struggle with and we go, you know, God, this does not define me, but I want to fight it. How can I fight this? How can I walk by your spirit? How can I walk by your spirit? And then give me the courage to step up and to deal with it with a brother or sister in Christ. But I want to do it for your glory, not mine. I want to do it for your glory, not mine. So as they pass everything out, take a cup, take a piece of bread, let's hold it all together until everybody is received and we'll take it as a family. We are one in the body of Christ. We're all in the same boat and we all need him. So let's take this time to reflect.